Uh, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter 16. I like this story. It's not often talked about too much, but it's the story of the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer. And uh, it's a story that takes place when Paul and Silas were imprisoned for their faith in Philippi. And the multitude, it says in verse 22 of Acts chapter 16, and the multitude of and the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. We're talking about sacrifice for your faith. We're talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ here. And we'll continue to read on the story, but I want to get you uh, up to date of what happened. They went to town and they preached, as the Lord commanded them to do, and impressed upon them the need to. And they traveled where the Lord wanted them to travel. And they stood there in Philippi and preached the gospel of Christ. And it was taken much out of proportion, and they were punished for it by the magistrates, those in control. We're not beyond that right now. I personally know of people that have been throw it in prison in the United States, throw it in jail, I should say, throw it in jail, and there are some in prison right now, but throw it in jail for simply protesting at abortion clinics by the former administration, not by the Trump administration, but the administration before that, unbeknownst to a lot of people. But if you were an activist for Christianity and stood within two feet of the boundary line of the... Uh, federal law that says you can't get within 20 feet of an abortion clinic's entrance. She was at 22 feet, the lady was, and was promptly arrested for being that close to the boundary. Nothing more, nothing less. Did time in jail for it. So that's just, that's a small potatoes. And, but that's where we're headed. That's how things start. Uh, we're already being called uh, activists instead of just protesters. We're activists now. And we're, what do they call it uh, when uh, people are not civilians, but they're uh, community? We won't go there. But it's, it's, a, it's a day and age where things could easily escalate. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Verse 23, verse 24 of Acts chapter 16, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. It's one thing to be thrown in prison, and it's another thing to be incarcerated past that or confined once you're in prison. Told you last time we met, I worked in a prison for three years, had enough of that, became a police officer and had enough of that. But uh, we had an inner cell in the prison, and it was for people that were mentally, go mentally insane. And it was literally a padded room with handcuffs, and we'd take a, gen a gentleman in there to be polite, somebody who'd lost it and was a threat to everybody in their safeguard. We'd simply lock their cell, then we'd suit up a, a group of eight men wearing motorcycle helmets, special design leather suits, uh, billy clubs, and uh, uh, 
all kinds of other restraint items, fiberglass shields that were three inches thick, and we'd pin them up against the wall, knock them down to the ground, strip search them, handcuff them, shackle their legs, put them on a stretcher, so they were going to be completely immobile by the time we were done with them, and then they would go to a padded room, literally a room with pads hanging from the walls on the floor. There they'd be strapped to two, two sets of, four sets of bolts that were into the cement floor through the pads, and they were shackled to them in a spread eagle position and left there for usually six to eight hours with the lights off in the room, and then they would come back in we check them after that. We'd have a nurse there. And by then, they were usually come to. We'd have medical staff and everything else, check them every so many hours. That's the kind of place he was locked up in, not just the prison. He was locked up in the inner prison in the utmost. And in that case, that, this was very sanitary conditions. That room had to be washed with bleach and chloride every couple of days. And uh, before anybody came in, of course, it was completely sanitized and sprayed. And by sprayed, I mean steamed. And uh, the, uh, the place where Paul and Silas was wasn't quite like that. They did not have any sanitary precautions at all. They didn't have medical staff at all. They didn't have lighting at all. Uh, they, they, we actually bribed them by turning on the lights for them as they were tied to the floor, and uh, so they didn't have to be in the dark after a while. This is the kind of place they were, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. You could hear somebody going off in the wing of the prison. This was in my cell, uh, a prison that held only 400 no one held 600 men. All of them had, were emotionally challenged at least. And uh, you could tell when we locked down and opened up and things would come over, the whole prison had to be locked down when you took somebody to one of these places. The whole prison knew where you were. The whole prison knew what was going on. Uh, those that had experienced it and were back into the system, so to speak, uh, knew exactly what was going on. And it was a terrible thing. But uh, Paul and Silas, instead of wailing and gnashing their teeth and cursing and swearing, Paul and Silas, at midnight, they prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loose. And the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep, it reminds me of a time we were in the prison, uh, and the lights went out in town. They had a severe, uh, not an earthquake, had a severe winter storm, and the lights went out in the prison. Well, the prison had its own generator and its own heating system, uh, 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 hydronic kind of heating system, and the whole place was actually very comfortable as far as temperature, and, and it had all the amenities that elect electricity provided in such a place. And uh, the only thing is, is we were locked down for three days, and the inmates were, of course, they were locked down, but the guards, which I was a part of the guard system, 
uh, couldn't leave either. So we'd have to take turns sleeping in empty cells. You want to know what that experience was like? It was kind of different. Uh, lay in the cell and have the guy check you every hour and lock you in because you couldn't just roam around and, oh, it was something else. And uh, when I came out one morning, one of the elderlies, one of the inmates that was an elderly, was walking down the hallway and he says, man, you had to sleep here last night? And I says, yeah. He says, well, you's in here more than I am. <laughs> and he's, it was something else. We had to spend three days locked down. And the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors opened, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. The reason he was going to kill himself and uh, was because he would be found derelict of duty and the common practice, whether you were a Roman guard or a prisoner set there by the, by the, I almost said Church of Rome, by the continent of Rome, by the Roman Empire, you, if your prisoner escaped you, whether he was going on for a traffic violation or he was in there for murder, you had to serve his sentence. So if he was in there for a traffic violation, you paid his fine and then you get in your Volkswagen and leave. But if it was anything more contrary than that or severe than that, you had to do the full sentence for him. Well, he had a prison full of people. Earthquake came. They didn't have a backup electrical system. They didn't have backup heating. Uh, he, was, he was done. He was ready to kill himself rather than go through the humiliation and then be killed by the uh, country, uh, Philippi. And Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. They had lights then. They didn't have Coleman lanterns. They had uh, kerosene type of things. They uh, soaked uh, rags in uh, pine pitch and different combinations of inflammatants. And they had it down to a science. They had candles and wax, and he called for that and brought in a light. I think this is where we get the saying sometimes in, from this point of Scripture, let's shine a light on it. Let's put a light on the issue. And uh, here they are. They're in the prison. Let's have a word of prayer. And the Lord brought them out. Dear Lord, we thank you for bringing us out of the sin in our lives and bringing us to church today and helping us to be what we want to be in life. And Lord, we just ask that you continue to bless the services and bless each one of us and thank you that we're not called on in these regards to do what you'd have for us to do, That, but that we are able to make choices yet and that we're able to do what you'd have for us to do by free choice. We thank you for sparing us this kind of suffrage and we thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, and there's the chronic or the, the capital verse, whatever you want to say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, somebody, everyone who's expressed the need for Christ to be their personal Savior, everyone who's experienced salvation should have said something quite like this. You've had to come to the point in your own mind in your own heart that you realize you need a savior. I talked to an individual, he was my neighbor at one point, 
And I talked to him one day, and I asked him if he knew Christ as his personal Savior. And he said, oh, yes, I know Christ as my personal Savior. I said, just the Lord impressed upon me, uh, oh, that's neat. When did you get saved? He says, oh, I was born that way. He never had come to the point where he asked God, what must I do to be saved? He never could put a marker on it. Oh, I just... I just learned it, I was taught it, and I've practiced it all my life. I'm a good person, and I've done this, and I've done that. You know, if you ever work in a prison, you'll soon realize that you get a, a feeling of, well, you get a feeling of depression when you see people in one regard or another. But you also get a, to get through that depression sometimes, you build up your own self-esteem. I'm not as bad as that guy, those guys. I haven't fallen into their entrapments and their sins, or thank God I've escaped from some of those situations. I'm smarter than the average guy in here. You have, and that's what a lot of us do as individuals. When they're questioned with salvation, when they're facing God and wanting to know where they stand with their maker, a lot of us just point to the next fella. I'm better than him. I'm better than her. I haven't done what she's done. I haven't done what he's done. Certainly, I'm going to go before the maker, and he's going to say, my good outnumbers my bad, and I'm going to make it in. You haven't asked yourself, what what must I do to be saved? You haven't come to that point where you have to be rescued. You're still trying to earn your way. You're still trying to bolster your own self-esteem and your own respect. One thing I learned in the prison system is they're no different than any of us. If it weren't but the grace of God, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Oh, I've never killed one anybody. I've never even thought of killing anybody. Okay, what's the responsibilities you've been given in that regard if you haven't thought that? Have you fulfilled those obligations between your relationship with God? Have you, are you doing what God wants you to be doing today? Are you accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish today? Do you have a set goal in mind with God as part of it? Don't bother me now, preacher. I'm raising teenagers. Don't bother me now, God. I'm just try, trying to uh, uh, make enough money to stay alive here in Alaska. Don't bother me now with those kind of things. I know I'm doing good. I'm doing what... No, you have to be doing what God wants you to do. And then he can use you. Then he can use you. Then he can give you power. You ever wonder what what it would be like laying in a prison? Beat? Chained to the floor? Would you sing? I think of my mother-in-law one time. Uh, not, Not that she has anything much to do with prison, but... We were in a very precarious situation, and we were, she was fretting, and, and, and in fact, we were all were fretting over the situation. How is it going to come? How is it going to turn out? And I says, let's pray. And she, mean, she said, you mean it's come to that? Have you ever been to that point? Have you ever come to the position you needed to pray, the position you needed to Face up with God. What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. I particularly like the last three 
words in there, and thy house. Man, when I see, what do you got to do to be saved? It's believe in Jesus Christ. Trust him as your Savior. Not a lot of mechanics. Not, did they say you got to go join the church? Did they say you got to tithe? Did they say you got you to do all kinds of good, noble things to encourage your relationship with God? But did they say any of that? No. They just said believe. Trust. Realize that he did it for you. That Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. They were talking to a guy. And most popular in those days, I was in a Mexican prison once, very close to it. I didn't go inside. But I was with somebody who went inside. He said he had $20 in dollar bills. And that's what he needed just to get inside the prison. Plus the paperwork. But see, he had to take and bribe each one of the guards on the way in and the way out. Otherwise, they might just leave the door locked. (laughs) And it's like that in a lot of prisons even today. I can't tell you how many of my fellow guards have fallen and been incarcerated themselves because of situations they were involved in in the prison system. It's easy. And so this guy was at the top of the pile, this uh, prisoner, this guard, this, uh, the guy who ran the prison. I don't imagine he was clean of any violations in those regards. And he was ready to uh, see what, what he had to do. But none of them were mentioned. None of that was mentioned. He didn't have to go back and make things right. He just had to believe in Jesus Christ. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in the house. Who's they? Paul and Silas. And he took them the same hour, now that's the the prison, the keeper of the prison, of night and washed their stripes and was baptized. Now did Paul and Silas say you've got to be baptized? No, he told them you've got to be saved. You've got to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. He volunteered to be baptized. He didn't get baptized as a requirement for salvation. He, bapti- he got baptized out of gratitude, the same gratitude that made him pull those two men out of the inner prison and wash their stripes. Now, if you know anything about protocol with guards in prison, the one thing I had to tell my wife and I had to tell uh, many other inmates when they ask, where are you from? You don't tell them where you're from. Because some of those guys, especially in a jail situation or in a prison situation, they get out, they're going to go look you up. So you, 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 your conversations with them, and I was a, what you would call a social worker in the prison. I was a glorified guard and social worker. I got paid good bucks to play ping pong with them. I got paid good bucks to play checkers with them. I, they didn't know it, but I had to sit down and document the reactions to winning <laughs> or losing. And uh, I had to document all that, and it would go before the parole board eventually. Now, if they found out where I lived, they knew my name. They even knew my guard number. If they found out where I lived and anything didn't go well in that parole board, who would they look up? So... Uh, you put yourself at jeopardy. You don't let anybody know 
where you live. You don't even let them know you're married. You don't let them know you've got kids. You don't let them know. Where I was deteriorating with them is I was witnessing to some of them, and I'd slip up and say, you know, I go to this church. When you get out, you're going to be under a probation here, and you can probably go to that church. And then they, I was on the radio. Believe it or not, I was at one time eloquent enough to be on the radio. And uh, they, uh, they'd hear me on the radio. Well, you know when I preach, I don't, I don't carry those same kind of those limitations on what I'm talking about. And if I'd slip up and say my wife, Karen, or my son, Branson, or, uh, you know, I went to Antigo, Wisconsin, that's where they're from, pop. I had already told all the inmates that I was going to be around the next day too much about me. That's one reason I quit the job. Uh, one other reason I quit the job is I was getting too cynical. It was Christmas Eve. My family was waiting. I get off my shift at 10 o'clock normally. The guy hung himself at 9.30. He, didn't, he wasn't successful, thank heaven. But when I took him down, which, well, I was on the team that did those special kind of things, as you can tell. Not everybody suits up and beats up an inmate and chains him to the floor, but I was on that particular team. And uh, I'm taking him down from the rafters, right? He strung himself up on the bed sheets, cut him up. He'd, he evidently had a lot more connections than most. And... Uh, I says, you so-and-so and such-and-such, -and -such, you screwed up my whole Christmas. My whole family's sitting there at, at, at waiting for me to get home. Knew I violated number, you know, number one, don't let them know you even got a family. And I says, I says, it'll be two hours filling out the paperwork on you. It'd be a little easier if you'd have been successful with the job. <laughs> and I says, I went too far. I ruined my protocol, I ruined my testimony, I ruined my, and I says, I'm done. Hold my time, got, got my card, did my two weeks notice, and told the, told the warden of the prison, I'm, I'm done. Uh, that's how much stress you put yourself in in those kind of situations. And that's when I knew I was crossing the line with those inmates. This guy's taking them to his house. He lived in the prison almost virtually, but he still had a home with a family somewhere near the prison, maybe even on the prison grounds in those days. But he took him to his house. These were convicted people. And he says, what must? He says, he washed their stripes and was baptized. So evidently he continued to ask God, he continually asked God, and he asked Paul and Silas, what's this all about? He knew he had to establish a relationship with his maker, and he wanted to know what he needed to do to keep that relationship, to have what they had in their situation. And one of those steps, of course, was joining a church? No. Well, yes, not immediate step. One of the next steps was to be baptized. I mean, they could have said, you know, write out a check and you'll get this, or 
uh, read your Bible, here's a Bible. Well, they didn't have one. They were probably naked at the time. And pray every day and do this and do this. Well, he says, why don't you get baptized? It's the next step to identify with others. You're baptized. You see that? There's salvation, then there's baptism. There's three things that take place in a Christian's life or should take place in a Christian's life to some degree. The first one is once you're saved, that's the first thing that should take place in your life. Then the next thing is service to God. He served his fellow man. He served God. And the fact that he took God's man and washed him and prayed with him and was obedient. I'm not saying any of that to my regards. This is what is required of everyone to grow as a Christian. Salvation, service, then the last one is sacrifice. When he took those men into his house, he wasn't turning back. His job as a prison manager was done. It was done. And the house, and he set to meet before them and rejoiced, believing in God. Who did he believe in? Not Paul and Silas. He believed in God. And then I like those last three words. Did you catch them again? They were in verse 31, and thy house. Now they're in verse 34. He believed in God with all his house. One of the first things that happened when I accepted Christ as my personal Savior is I turned to my family's background, which some of which were in prison. My dad says it's a miracle you ever got clearance to work in a prison, son. It just must be because of the paperwork and the computers hadn't caught up with you because I was in the day and age just when everything was switching over to computers. He says, you, got, you don't have that kind of background. You won't be, you'll never get in the job. Got the job. He says, I'm proud of you. My first impression was, when I got saved was, boy, I'd sure like my dad to get saved. Boy, I'd sure like my mom to get saved. Boy, I'd sure like to get my brother saved. And I'm still praying for my brother's salvation. It was over 30 years before I seen any of those people saved. Well, 20 on my dad, 30 on my mother. Both of them got saved within the last three years of their life. My mother got saved within the last six, years, six hours of her life. But I kept claiming that portion of Scripture with all thy house. And every chance I had to be obedient to God and to the precepts and concepts of being a Christian, I practiced with that verse in mind. I got saved. Well, that I come to on my own. I got baptized. I thought of my mom and my dad and my brothers. I joined a church. I thought of my mom and my dad and my brothers. I'm not the kind of guy that prays a lot. I like to do something. And I knew that <laughs> as I get older, I find myself doing less and praying more. But uh, God's wonderful. He can intervene. As I could accomplish what God wanted me, when I got ordained, I said a prayer before I walked up on that platform. And I've walked up on that platform several times. Save my mom. Save my brother. Boy, I wish he was here, God. Can't you work in their lives? I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to be what I should be for you. Can you do that for me? You'll have the privilege probably to see my brother this next summer when he comes up. I prayed. Last time I preached, he cried. Didn't get saved. This isn't a message to get my brother saved. 
It's in the message to be obedient to God and give you my testimony about obedience to God so you can have the power to see your loved ones saved, to see your loved one's life changed. So you can see your life change, you can see their life change as well. As you submit, surrender, this is a beautiful story of someone who surrendered to God and took the consequences of that surrender, salvation, service, and sacrifice, and then after those consequences was willing to follow through with that commitment, and you see what the, what the results are. Was he made rich? No, he lost his job. Was he made popular? Well, it depends. He's in the Bible. Boy, that's a mark. But his whole house got saved. Maybe the very thing that's stopping your loved one from getting saved is your lack of submission to God's will in your life. As you submit your will to his, it's easier for him to work through it. Nobody talked to my dad much until I started praying, and every time I led someone to the Lord or had the privilege to talk to someone about Jesus Christ, I baptized an old black, I wanted to baptize an old black man. It was in a dark, dirty little hotel kind of place, and this man wonderfully accepted Christ as his personal Savior. He was a wonderful old black man, and he reminded me a little of my father. My father was very dark-complected. I was the white sheep of the family. And he and my dad died of sickle cell, by the way. And this black man was there in a wheelchair, and he had a little wooden leg. And he accepted Christ miraculously. And I was there when he did it. And I says, he says, I'd like to get baptized. I says, well, I'll take you. We'll go get baptized. He says, but it's my wooden leg. I got to take it. I got, I'm worried about it. I says, we'll see what we can do. Ended up calling another church. I don't know if he ever got baptized or not. But he was willing to sacrifice and take those steps of obedience to God all on his own merits. And while he was there, while I was talking to him, I was praying that my dad would get saved all that while. All that while. And so I'm praying he's getting saved. It wasn't two months later. My dad gave me a call and he said, you know that preacher that you sicked on me a couple of years back? That guy down in Milwaukee? Boy, he said, he'd come out to my place. He'd come and see me at the hospital. And he said, I did what he said. I accepted I said, what must I do to be saved? He knew what to be saved, what he had to do. And he says, I accepted Christ as my Savior. Don't tell me what I'm telling you don't work. It works. Honor God. He'll honor you. He'll honor you. Let's all stand. Don't forget your Halloween treats on the way out. You want one to get candied up and ruin your lunch? Uh, If you want a few extra to hand out tonight, some towns observe it at different times, but uh, that's what we got in the time frame we're in. I'll be handing some out at the door after service today. Don't forget about the, the, we'll make up a little sign. and Well, I hope it's big. We've got plenty of paper, and we'll hang it on the back door for those coming in, both Julie and... Julia present the work on Wednesday, and the Belkins don't know it yet, 
and forgive me if I say Belcoms, but the other group would, won't know it yet, but they're going to do it next Wednesday. <laughs> and uh, they're anxious, they want to, so it's going to work out. Stop and think of where you're at with God today. I know he's telling us in this day and age that each one of us have a special mission and special purpose in life. There's not a lot we can all do about our circumstances immediately. But that jailer, he surrendered, cost him his job. What does God want you to do or change in your life? I have no idea. I'm sitting before some of the better people in this community, the best people in this community in my regard. But God still wants you to be doing something more for him. 